Wow, to be at church, to acknowledge the living God, the first day of a new year. Ephesians 5, I um, pick up at verse 14, 514. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Quoting Isaiah, probably referring to our salvation, that we are the people that God has spoken to to awaken out of our spiritual sleep and out of spiritual death and darkness. And because of the grace of God, we have been awakened by God. Look carefully, then how you walk, since you're now his, since you're a believer. Look carefully, then, how you walk. And there's only two ways to walk. Stupid or wise. Our word stupid would be unwise. Don't live unwisely but as wise. And if you do that, you'll make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Part of why is living is living in light of the will of God. What is the will of God? Uh, We've got some fortune tellers around here that can tell you what the future is going to hold. Sometimes, actually, they're right. They can guess it pretty good. Uh, What is the will of God for your life? Uh, That's mystery. There's different ways people have tried to find out God's will. In the Old Testament, they threw dice. They called them Urim and Thummim. And they just, boom, and God would tell them if it was a yes or a no. And uh, they actually could discern what God wanted them to do. Uh, One man, Samson, put out a fleece that if God would soak the sheep's skin during the night, or uh, that would let him know, then he'd change it if it can go all night without being wet. And so people have tried fleeces. Uh, Some people rely on dreams, visions, so-called prophets. Uh, how, How can you know what God's will for your life is? There's two wills of God. Uh, One you don't have to worry about. One is called the determinative will of God. His sovereign will. Guess what? Don't worry about it. It's secret. You'll never know it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the hidden things, the secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. So there's some things that are sovereignly going to happen. The coming of Christ is going to happen no matter what you do. Guess what? You're going to die no matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you jog, 
how much wheat germ you eat or how many wheat muffins you eat. You're going to die. We don't know when, but God has that already set, just like you set the time you would be born. Out of all the conceptions in the world, you are one of them. God sovereignly determined that. We believe babies come from God ultimately, don't we? And so God is sovereign. Uh, all the things of revelation, the nations, the antichrist, uh, it's going to happen regardless of what you do. So don't worry about that part of God's will. Uh, here's the part. Uh, let me ask you some questions about the will of God. How do you determine the will of God for your life? How do you know how God wants you to live? Now, there are some parts of God's will that we call God's desirous will. He desires. The first thing is he desires that you be saved. He desires. He's not willing that any should perish, but he is willing. He desires that you will receive Jesus Christ and become his child. Now, I want to ask you, why won't you do that? What keeps you from that? I mean, he just, he says, come to me and I'll give you eternal life. Uh, come to me and I'll bless you more than anyone has ever blessed you in your life. Come to me and I will forgive you of your sins. Come to me and I will dwell in you. Come to me and you will get to go to heaven eternally Come to me, and you don't even have to bring an offering envelope. Just as you are, come. Just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Nothing in my hand to thee I bring. Simply to thy cross, the work of Christ, I will cling it is the will of God that you be saved. You ought to come to Christ now. You don't know how many, according to Psalms 90, verse 12, he said, teach us to number our days. There was a prophet used to teach at Dallas named Bruce Walkey, a famous Hebrew scholar, very, a brilliant man. And he used to keep a, a little day timer uh, on him. And what he always did uh, is he figured how many days he had until he turned 70. Now, some of you are living on borrowed time. <laughs> You're doing good if you get 70. And we've got people in this church in their 90s, 80s, 71, 72. That, that, that's great. Hallelujah. God's been exceedingly good to you. But in Bible times, by the time we get to really Psalms, if you lived to be 60, you were doing good. And if you lived to be 70, uh, remember, there was no Kaiser in the Old Testament. There was no surgery for appendicitis. Think of people in the Old Testament. They died of appendicitis. But he said, teach us to number our days. 
and he would always number how many days he had, and you ought to try it. Don't do it right now during the service. But, but how many days do you have if God gives you 70 and he hasn't promised you 70 years? You may have them, you may not, but you'll be amazed at how few days that is. It's not as many days as you think. And he said, now's the day of salvation. You cannot play with your soul by waiting another day. You are to come to Christ. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. He desires it. But you know what else is the will of God? Is that I love my wife like Christ loves the church. Is that the will of God? Does that mean it will happen? Mm. Mm. We know it's God's will. But honey, today I'm suspending the will of God. I got some things I want to say. We know that, so there's a conditional aspect of God's will. There's a second thing he says right here as he tells you to wake up from the dead, and I say that to you that do not know Christ. God wants you to wake up and come to Christ, and coming to him is coming to life. Coming to him is you wake up like Rip Van Winkle and says, where have I been all my life? What, what has happened? I've missed out on, you're not alive until you come to Christ. You're just breathing. You're just breathing. But you don't have eternal life till you come to Christ. The first will of God for everyone here is be saved. Look to Christ and be saved. He will save you. It's his will to save you today. In this service, if you don't know Christ, it's God's will that you be saved. I know that as clear as anything. Now, whether you'll come, whether you'll let him in, that's all up to you. We'll see. But there's a few of us here that are saved. We know he saves. We came, and he saved us. Okay, there's three of us. Uh, I mean, we're, we're saved. Uh, and, and here's another thing he says, in walking careful and walking and understand what the will of the Lord is, uh, we put out in the bulletin, I don't know that I saw it today, Bible reading plans for the year. Because when God saves you, uh, he begins to renew your mind. He begins to put new content in it. Uh, all the porno you took in, he wants to get out. Uh, all the wickedness you've taken in, he wants, he wants to put in your heart and mind new content. And this new content is primarily through his word and around a living body of Christians and to see how this thing works out. And so he says, renew our mind that we may discern what is the good, perfect, good will of God. And he does it by the renewed mind. You know what, this year you ought to think about, I'll watch less TV and I'll at least read through my Bible at least once this year. Even the children are quiet. <laughs> They're saying, he's messing with us. Less TV. What do you have for all the hours of TV you've watched? How many encouragement cards could you have sent? How many people could you have prayed for? And come on, 
How much a Limbaugh can you take in a day? How much news can you take in a day? It's all the same. We're in a mess. We're in a mess. How long do you want to waste your life knowing we're in a mess? I knew that from Genesis 3. We're in a mess. We're a fallen race. We're a bunch of sinners. We're unsafe to be around until Christ invades our life. Only Christ can change us. He says, he goes on here and talking about the will of God. The first thing he says, oh, by the way, don't be getting drunk like you've been doing. A lot of drinking at Ephesus. They had a goddess there, a Bacchus, of which getting drunk was the way you worshiped her. So we have a lot of Bacchus worshipers. Uh, but be filled with the Spirit, and it's a command. So the second thing I know is God wants you to live Spirit-controlled lives this year. That's the will of God. God wants to control you. And living under his control will make you a person that uh, will be so much easier to live with. You can't help it that you have such a warped personality. But the Spirit of God takes all of our warps, all of our bents, all of that, and he has a way of sanctifying us and producing the character of Christ. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. But it's really, you'll start manifesting things that look like, like Christ. And he wants you to be Spirit-filled. Uh, it's his will that you be Spirit-filled. It's not just for the few it's just for those who want it. Uh, do you want to live under the control of the... Do you want the Spirit at, at, the, at the driving wheel, or do you want to be at the wheel and tell him what to do? It'd be good if you'd get in the back seat and let the Spirit do the driving. Some of you have been in charge too long. It's why your marriage is messy. It's why your kids can't hardly stand you. And uh, it's why a lot of the conflict in you, because when the Spirit's grieved, he'll keep you miserable. Because he, he's, he's sorrowing. He said, why don't you let me fill you? Why don't you let me control you? You're, you're grieving me. You're, you're just shutting me down. You're just saying no. You're, you're not cooperative. But he said, no, get yourselves under the control of the Spirit. This is the will of God. It is the will of God that every one of us live in the Spirit this year. Every moment of every day. I know that's the will of God. Let's look at another thing that's interesting, 1 Thessalonians. I'm just picking verses that just, just mention the will of God in the verse. I'm just not picking these at random. They mention the will of God. Watch this. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, notice that, and that word walk is how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Okay, now you better listen real close. What is this? He's going to unfold a secret 
Watch. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now that word means uh, your way of living out a holy life. Sanctification and holy are the same word. So we say live a holy life, live a sanctified life. The root idea is be set apart from what God uh, calls evil, calls bad. Separate yourself. Uh, you, you, can't, uh, you can't handle skunks without smelling like them. Quit handling that which soils you, which um, uh, influences you for evil. So... This is the will of God, your sanctification. Well, would you be more specific? That's just a big theological term. Okay, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Whoa, 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 whoa. This must this not be a current translation. Oh, yeah, it is. That... that this is what I'm talking that you don't be involved in sexual immorality that our schools only hand out condoms. They don't hand out morals. The sanctification, why? Why shouldn't I be sexually immoral? Everybody in Rome and Greece is immoral. Sex in this time in the Bible 50 A.D., sex was a biological urge that said you just satisfy it. You don't uh, get married. Sex is a biological thing without moral parameters. If you feel it, do it. Sex just is there like animals. But God said sex involves creating something that will live forever, potentially we call them babies. And it is, I believe, that the baby that's lost in a miscarriage will be in heaven. Because David said, I began in my mother's womb. In sin I was conceived. The I about me began, and I'm more than a placenta. I'm more than uh, a, a fetus. I'm more, there. I'm really a being in the sight of God. Think of John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he's in his mother's womb. There was a real person to fill. A real person. That's why we want first resort here next week. We try to tell girls, if you get pregnant, don't abort. We have ways to help you keep a baby you don't have to abort. Don't be sexually immoral. Well, to be immoral, you've got to know what's moral. What's moral from a divine viewpoint is sex is the privilege of married, committed, covenant-making people. People who are willing to make a covenant and moving in with them, honey, isn't a covenant. Once you get a bad cold, he could find a new girl. 
This is covenant for better, for worse, and for whatever we're living with now, we don't know what to call, but we made a covenant. Covenant. Covenant before privilege. So he said that each one of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he says to believers of this church that are just being saved, coming out of paganism, walk in holiness, sanctification. Don't let your body be used like the Greek philosophers tell you. Your body matters. What you do with it, how you use it, how you tattoo it, uh, woo. how you, how you, I just feel a, a stiff, the atmosphere's changed. You know, uh, uh, what I do, uh, sex is not casual. Sex is serious from God's point of view. It's casual in our culture, and we wonder where all these children are coming from. They're coming, and where are those fathers standing up to be there? And why all these single mothers on jobs and, and children in daycare? Where, where all, what's happening? We want one aspect we don't want to care. And so God's will is you be saved. God's will is that you be spirit-controlled. God's will is that you be sanctified, including your sexual expression. Do it in God's arena. Do it God's way, God's time. Your body matters to God. Use it. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody use your body but the God who saved you, and don't do anything with it that he doesn't permit that is his will. And God says, amen. Because I just told you what he said, not what pop culture says. I haven't hardly seen anything in pop culture. I was looking at a uh, review of 19, oh, let's see, of 2011 last night, and one section was, let us look at pop culture. And Carol and I looked at this, look at what we've missed. We didn't even hardly know this existed. I didn't know any names, and there was so much ugly on that screen. It was terrible. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, it's interesting. There's a verse here where three imperatives, and imperatives are commands, okay? Three commands lumped up in, in one short section, verse 16, 17, and 18. Watch these three things that he says are the will of God. Watch this. Number one, verse 16, rejoice when you get a bonus. Rejoice when your mother-in-law goes home. Oh, wait, wait, wait. This is a uh, husband edition. Uh, 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 Rejoice when? 
And when God repeats something, he's not stuttering. He says it in Philippians 4, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And where was he when he wrote that? So it must not be circumstantial. Rejoice in the Lord, not in the jail. Now, it will include wherever you are, but the focus of the rejoicing, I have to say, uh, I, 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 hate to, I don't want to be negative starting the new year, but uh, there's some of you that do, your face does not look like rejoicing. Can I just be frank about it? I mean, I, and I believe you're saved, and that's what scares me. <laughs> you know, if, if you didn't know the Lord, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, if you didn't have these promises, if you didn't have this hope, if you didn't have a Savior like Jesus, if you didn't know you were going to heaven, if you didn't know God's going to work it all together for good in spite of all your mess up, if you didn't have God's uh, word, if you didn't have his people, if you didn't, I'd say be miserable, be miserable, be miserable. But he said rejoice because you've got the Lord. He's the basis of the rejoicing, not your circumstances. I mean, I, I'm supposed to have another surgery uh, next year. Uh, don't feel sorry for me. Just pray God to heal me in the night. Uh, I want it like uh, a hole in the head. I've had enough surgery. Terrible back, uh, terrible disposition. But you know what? They can't take out a disposition. <laughs> You're stuck with that. But uh, I'm wearing a brace that helps me stand up here. and uh, I, I feel bound up. But you know what? Uh, that's all right. I got heaven coming and a new body. And you do too. You do too. So, rejoice. And then you want to say, what about? You know, he said, what about? I just told you. He's coming again. You're going home. Your sins are forgiven. You're not going through the tribulation. You don't have to know who the beast is. I hope you never meet him. The closest beast you'll ever see is your husband. <laughs> and, and you can survive that. Uh, no, no. It, it, it's just, you, you got all these promises or do you not? Is this science fiction? No, it's not. It's not circumstantial. I don't like all my circumstances. Right? I... I I, sometimes I remember I have to say I, I confess my fault and my sin. When this church was meeting at a theater in Rodale, I felt like we should rename it Armpit Church <laughs> because that building was dumpy, cold, hot. And I said to God, you have a weird sense of humor if this is part of your will. I remember Malcolm so encouragingly saying to me, Phil, I don't mind working in the ghetto. I just hate to go to church in the ghetto. <laughs> and it just lifted my heart so much. <laughs> because we had three people a week get mugged. You had to go through a tank of gas to take your kids to every place we met. It, you know, it was terrible. And in the middle of that, if you would have come up and read this verse, 
South Richmond would have come out. I would have just wanted to grab you and said, what? Rejoice that you are in this dumpy theater to the glory of God. And yet Paul would have said, rejoice in the Lord. Not the real theater, but in the Lord. And you could even make it in a dumpy theater. Did we not make it by the grace of God? Amen. By the grace of God. Rejoice. That's part. Now, now watch verse 17. Worry without ceasing. Well, oh, 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 oh. See, if you worry, you won't pray. If you pray, you won't worry. If you pray, you won't worry. Isn't that weird? When you pray and you get up and you still owe the bill, how do you expect me not to worry? He says, I just cast it on the Lord, and he supernaturally infuses peace to his people even when the circumstances have not changed in front of you. He said it. And this word to pray without ceasing, let me give you the way it was used by the Greeks. It was used of constantly paying taxes. Pay taxes unceasingly. Sounds like our government. Uh, but they really did. They used it that way. They used it of uninterrupted, necessary payment of hard taxes. The continual service of ministry. It was used of a continual, uninterrupted cough. That's why he wants you to pray. <laughs> <laughs> Other words, you're never to sign off. I, I grew up on getting on my knees and having times of prayer, okay? That's the tradition I grew up with. And sometimes I'd be self-condemned if I had not kept that time, got caught up with something. It always affects my spirit if I miss that morning time. But there's another side. What do you do when you get up from your knees and you go on your way and you're carrying out your activities? He says, according to this verse, you ought to continue your praying. Continue talking to him. Continue talking. So that I only, I only step away from God when I talk to you. And as soon as you're done, I go back to talking to him. And after I talk to some of you, I've got a lot more to talk to him about. <laughs> you know, you got problems, you, you, you have needs, uh, you have indigestion, something's going on. So uh, you just keep talking to him. Have you been talking to him? It's a command. It's the will of God. You'll never outgrow it. And then he finally says, and the one I did Thanksgiving one precious sister said, you know, you've spoken on this before at Thanksgiving. I said, yeah, it comes around once a year. Uh, look at it. Give thanks. So, see, you're already ahead of me. In all, that, that's, that's heavy in the Greek. In the Greek, it's very deep. It means all. In the Hebrew, in the Oki, in anything you look at, all means all. Give thanks. Well, well, I don't want to give thanks. 
This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You know what? I have to say another thing, I, uh, and I'll close with this to just launch you into a brand new year feeling wonderful. Uh, I, I don't, you know, can I say this? Sure, I could say it because you don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, Carolyn and I used to always look forward to someone having us over for dinner or something. As the years have gone on, we're not always sure. Because in the early days, it would be a ambush night. People tell us everything they didn't like about the church. You know, and here, Pastor, do you want another piece of pie? By the way, I can't stand this. Are you having a good time? I'm just loving it, finding out what I already know. This church is a mess. I finally had to tell a man, when you go out with me, don't tell me what's wrong with Valley. That's like me going out with you and telling you what's wrong with your wife. See, I'm married to it. You can find another church. I'm committed to it. If we don't meet enough your expectations, you're out of here. Well, I'm not out of here. I've been showing up 40 years, good and bad, in season, out of season, cold days, hot days. Folks I like, sometimes all the folks you like decide to go to another church. And you say, boom, by the way, I like you folks. I'm not mad. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're the leftovers. No, but you, don't, you, you never know. You never know. You never know. But I've seen people get into a murmuring. They're always critiquing what's wrong with God's church. He said, be giving thanks in all circumstances. And you know what? If you don't like what's going on in the church, I'd first of all spend one month praying unceasingly about that problem. And go to one of our pastors if there's no resolution. What will resolve immensely is your spirit will change. If your spirit's wrong, he'll change you. If it's still there, come tell one of us so we can pray together and seek God's solution. We are not so blind around here as to think in handling 1,000 to 1,500 people weekly that there's not some things that could be better. But the thing that ought to be the best is your attitude. Are you thankful? Are you rejoicing? Are you praying? Are you saved? Are you spirit-controlled? Are you sanctified? And he goes on to mention submission. Peter says, suffer willingly and gladly in the will of God. I just say to you, we've got all the resources of heaven to live 2012 in the will of God. Help us, Lord. And here is the way. Don't put out a fleece. Don't throw any dice. There it is. And, and I have people tell me, I'm trying to find the will of God. I said, I know more will of God than I'm doing. My problem is not knowing. It's obeying. That's why I started with men, love your wife. Wife, wife, 
gladly submit to him. This is the will of God. We're ready for a hymn. <laughs> Music ministry, come. Do you want to live in the will of God or do you want to live it according to your, your way, your power? The will of God. Buying up the time. Let me say this this year. Here's a, a, a great little pamphlet was written on this and you've heard it many times. I'll close with this. Don't live on the tyranny of the urgent. And that is that all of your life can be consumed with doing urgent things without ever doing important things. You see, a, a toilet running over is urgent. A hurting wife is important. But because... The, it's not urgent. We can neglect the wife. Your prayer life is important. Your attitude is important. But we keep running to the urgent. And the urgent sometimes, it's just, it's just some mosquito issue that we have to attend to immediately. And we get consumed. And pretty soon, we, we don't have time for our children. We don't have time for the why. We don't have time for reading the Bible through in a year. We don't have time. You have all the time you need to do the will of God. You, have, you don't have any more time in the day than the president. That's something you cannot negotiate. And how much time you have left, I don't know. But don't be ruled by, it's urgent. We've got to do this. Why do we have to do this now? Well, I would pray. You know, I see people in the morning. I would have a morning prayer life, but man, I get up a little late and, and I just grab something and I'm out. And then I, I just don't have time to have a prayer life. Do you have time to worry? Do you have time to be a wreck? Literally, because anxiety will replace the prayerless. And you'll be carrying undue burdens all the time that God says, the old song, what is it? Oh, need, what burdens we do not care or do not share because we don't carry them to the Lord in prayer. I, I botched the line, but it's that idea. Well, we want God's best for you, precious people. Jesus may come this year. He may come this day. All I say to you, the spirit and the bride say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let us stand.